Hello and welcome to the Right for Your Life podcast. I am joined by Donna Sorensen. Hello. Hello. I didn't say hello, did I? No, you didn't. But that's all right. I'm here. I think. No, I don't know why I always do that bit. I guess because I always have. But there's no real need for me to always do the hello. This is, this is the Right for Your Life podcast. No, do you, well next next week you can do it and then you can go and I'm Ian and then I'll go and I'm Donna. We already do yeah. that. What? How do, what do you what do you mean? Like you just say hello, welcome to Right for Life. I'm Ian and then I'll go and I'm Donna. Okay, so instead of me sort of introducing you as if I've never met you before, today I'm joined <laughs> by, believe it or not, this, this person who's just wandered in. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do it. Let's let's try let's trial it from next week. Okay, we'll do that. This is probably the sort of conversation we should have had before we uh, started. <laughs> yes, I know, absolutely. Um, can I start with my writing news quickly? Always, always with the writing you- Why have I not got any writing news these days? <laughs> oh, yeah, but my book's just come out, though, hasn't it? I mean, you know, you're an experienced writer on the circuit now. You've, it's been out for years, your book. Well, no, one year. Is it? No, it must be two. <laughs> How long has it been out for? It's just it's just over a year. Is it? God, yeah. it goes so quick. Doesn't it just? It really does. What's your news? Um, my news is that uh, last Sunday I was reviewed in the um, one of the biggest newspapers in Ireland, which is very exciting, in the Sunday Times, and my face was in the review. <laughs> <laughs> it was really exciting, and I was reviewed alongside the new professor of poetry. Um, in Ireland, Paula Meehan, who's an amazing poet, um, and it was a really great review. And I'm just—I was very, very excited and very happy. And I felt like, whew, okay, now I can take a breather about that because I've got that, got that, and I'll always have that, you know. And someone, someone I know in Ireland, wonderful person, is sending me a paper copy, and I can't wait to have it and to and to smell it and to um, hug it. And you and you right, rightly should. It's a fantastic achievement. <laughs> well, it's good. You know, I mean, I, you never know how many reviews you're going to get, do you, for the for a book? It's really nerve wracking the idea of having a review, but then I think it's way more nerve wracking the idea of nobody reviewing it at all. Well, it is. It is difficult to. It is. It is tricky to get. Um, it's very difficult to get high profile reviews. So it's very difficult to get reviews in sort of national newspapers. I mean, it's unbelievably difficult actually. Um, and um, and no matter who you publish by, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you you should cherish those things. I mean, and I mean, I I was pub, um, reviewed in the Daily Mail and Time Out London, which is not national, but it's, it's pretty That's big. That's bad. Yeah. And um and, and that was it. None of the other none of the other national newspapers. But you know, like you said, it's it's a so it's kind of it's part of the dream, I think. So it is. And did you keep? Did you get paper copies of those reviews? No, I don't think I have actually. Oh, well, they see. Maybe, maybe I have. I'm not sure. Well, you can you can get back copies, can't you? But that's um, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, just wanted to share that with everybody because you know we we're so often sharing our frustrations about the writing process, aren't we? But that's interesting. You should say such a thing. Oh, it's true. Yes. Why? What's our what's our subject for discussion this week, Ian? It's complaining about things. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not. It's it's putting things to one side that we so that we don't have to worry about things we don't like anymore. Yes. So we're going to have this is episode one hundred and one of the Right for Life podcast. You could say it's episode one hundred and one, and you could say that this is the perfect opportunity for us to do a room one hundred and one 
of writing, publishing and reading. What do you think to that? That sounds absolutely amazing. It's a match made in heaven. Now, do you think everyone listening is going to be familiar with the concept concept of uh, Room 101? That is a very good question. Would you like to just quickly summarise for them? I will and do not, that. And not the TV programme. Well, I mean, I guess we are doing uh, our own version of the TV programme rather than the original literary reference, aren't we? Well, I think it's important that we, uh, we, we cover both. So for those who don't know, Room 101 is a place introduced in the novel 1984 by George Orwell. And it's specifically a torture chamber in the Ministry of Love in which the party attempts to subject a prisoner to his or her own worst nightmare, fear or phobia. And um, and that was turned into a television programme for the BBC in the UK. I don't know if it's been sold worldwide, it perhaps has. And uh, basically people choose things that they don't like and they the, the, the presenter of the show has to decide whether they those choices deserve to go into Room 101 or not, whether they agree with them. Yeah, and I always thought it was Paul Merton that did that programme. He did. It was originally... Um, it was originally... Who was it originally? Frank Skinner? No, because no. I think Frank Skinner does it now. Oh. Oh, interesting. I don't know. It was, it was Paul Merton for a long time. I had a feeling that there was someone before that. I'm not sure. Mm, interesting. Yes, yeah, so we get to choose three things, um, reading, writing, publishing, that we really can't stand and we want to... Uh, wish them away from existence yes so these are our absolutely sort of the creme de la creme of our pet hates and we chose three (laughs) these three specific categories very broad reading writing and publishing and we haven't shared each other's ideas of what's going to go in so as you listen listeners i will be listening to what donna says for the first time and i will be deciding whether i think that her suggestions deserve to go into room 101 whether i agree with them enough and feel equally as strong about these things so who's going to go first yeah well who's going to do it do you want me to i can do i can do mine first i've got my reading pay reading so our first category is reading and our first Competitor is Donna Sorensen. Take it away. Hello, Ian. Hi. Um, I would like to convince you that we should put into room writing 101. Or writing room 101. You said reading. Oh, yeah, but I just, for the competition in general, reading room 101. That works perfectly. <laughs> this is for the reading room 101. Um, I would like to get in there... Spelling errors in books. Ooh, good one. Because I just feel like, I mean, I I am obviously not perfect in this respect. In fact, I'm probably way less good than I should be. I don't even know whether that sentence makes sense. But I kind of feel like if I've bought a book and it's been through not only the author, but all the author's friends and family, and then professional editors and other people in the publishing company and, you know, the printers and everybody, all all that. Um, And, you know, you never know how many people have seen it before it's gone actually to print. Surely you can make a book without a spelling mistake in it. And I, I don't think I've read a book recently that hasn't had at least one error in it. Yes, I have to say, the books I've been reading recently have had um, errors in, and only small ones. Um, yeah, tiny ones. But, but yes. 
and you know I've, I've worked in publishing companies and with amazing editors and stuff like that and I know everybody's human but I just kind of think like a lot of these are the like the really big the big ones the big publishing houses you know we just think god I mean how many they must have loads of editors they must have people at different levels that are reading this you know it just really gets on my nerves because then when I see it, I can't think about the story. I just get annoyed about the fact that it's substandard and it, how can it, you know, it's a Booker Prize winner or it's, you know, award nominated and still it's got this spelling error in it. And so do you feel like it affects your reading of the book so much? Just a tiny little spelling mistake or... I don't know, punctuation problem perhaps, although I guess that's less, that's more of an authorial kind of decision. No, no, it's, it's, it's more with the spelling mistakes that haven't been caught by editors, or sometimes if there's, there's a wrong word, like a, the wrong spelling of a word. But I, I, when I say wrong spelling, I mean, I'm going to try what they're called graphophones. No, are they homophones? You see, I don't even know. <laughs> Words that, are, that sound the same but are spelt differently. I see. Um, they must be homophones, are they? Anyway, that's for one thing for us to find out. Um, it affects me at the time, and it affects that part of the book that I'm reading. I wouldn't say that it like I, I carry it with me right until the end, but you know that is that is breaking into my concentration and my getting into that world. You know. And do you think that you're alone in this kind of hatred of spelling errors in books, or do you think that this is something that really upsets all readers everywhere? people would be annoyed by it because it breaks the flow and you just kind of go oh hang on a minute that's that they didn't mean that or that wasn't right there and all you want with a book is to just be transported into that world you know not have to think about anything else going on around you or to be brought out of it unnecessarily so what do you reckon well i think at this point i have to i have to make a confession what there is a spelling mistake or or um, or uh, editorial error in as for angelica my novel is there? And I find it deeply upsetting, as you can imagine. <laughs> Where is it? I don't. I don't know specifically which page. I believe it's one of the chapters that involve Judy, the vicar. But I'm not entirely sure where. But it's about. It's midway through the book, and um, and there is uh, there is an incorrect your. I can't remember which way round it is, but there is either a your. Yeah. Where there should be a your or uh, or the other way around. And how did this come to light? Did somebody write to you about it or did you just notice it yourself? It was the first thing my mum said to me after she'd read it. <laughs> was it? Was it really? Yep. <laughs> oh my God, right, your next book, your mum's got to read it before it goes to print then. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so yeah, very. I was I was very upset about it. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't made a big deal. I'm just dying for me to sell out of the first one so that I can have a reprint and make amends. <laughs> I've not quite got there yet. Uh. Um, so yeah, but, but, so because of my personal deep frustration at having written a novel that is published by a proper publisher, and somehow between us all, one of those errors managed to creep through. I am going to agree with you and I'm going to put spelling errors into yes. Room 101. Yes. One nil. 
Well, hey, come on, give us a chance. I haven't even had a go yet. <laughs> one, uh, one. Okay, go on then. So are you going to do your reading one then first, or I'll are you do... going to choose your strongest uh, one of the three first? None of, none of them are particularly strong or insightful, but I, 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 will, <laughs> I will go for my reading one as well. I should say at this point that while you were talking, not that it wasn't extremely inter- interesting, but um, I did check who was the original presenter of Room 101, and it was, of course, Nick Hancock. Ah. So, in fact, this is, I would, I would say this is my least interesting um, uh, of, of my three suggestions to go into Room 101, which isn't a very good way of trying to persuade I gonna, you. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm put off already. But you may agree with me because you're in a similar situation to me, lifestyle-wise. Um, you know, drink, drugs, all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so my reading 101 is Tiredness. Or the inability to read whilst tired. It's really getting on my nerves. And this is because I, since I I was a a voracious reader when I was um, uh, forever, when I was, particularly when I was, I don't know, between the ages of whenever you learn to read and like 10 or 11, I, I, I read all the time and I always read before I went to sleep so I would I would I would go to bed I don't really remember what time but I would go to bed and I would I would read every night for at least an hour and it would vary I would I would perhaps maybe I'd read like a Roald Dahl book or I used to collect um 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 Dandy and Beano comics but like the, I don't know if you remember them but they weren't like the big kind of A4-ish comics they were the they the were the, ones. the smaller ones that were all, that were much longer, but an all one story. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. My American pen pal used to send send me Archie and what was it? I can't remember what she was called now. Girl Veronica from America, and I hadn't seen because I never bought Dandy and all that stuff. Beano, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because of that. So it was almost like a almost like a, a novella length, um, well, like a gra- like, like a little graphic novel, novel really, like a book, sort of yeah. slightly shorter than that. So I used to read those, and I also used to read the same format, the same sort of thing, but Roy of the Rovers, which is obviously awesome. Um, but basically, I used to read before going to bed, and I would read until my eyes could no longer um, allow me to do so, until I fell asleep. And I continue to do that, really. It's always been when I've read. It's coincidentally that kind of late evening stroke nighttime type time has... Um, as has always been when I've written as well. So mm. cue, uh, cue what's happening now. Um, having had children, I now can't seem to keep my eyes open when, when I get in bed for more than three minutes. <laughs> and I'm being generous and there's nothing more frustrating. And, and in my head, I'm so even if it's, a, if it's a weekend and I'm doing stuff, like today, for example, today is my... For, I, I don't think I've talked about this before, but I have, I'm effectively, I, I'm, I'm a part-time employee at where I work now, and uh, I have a day off to look after the boys. I'm a very modern man. And, um, and it, today was the day, and it's been frantic and wonderful, but mainly frantic. And in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, well, I'll get to, have, I'll get to read at some point. And that's kind of how, how I've always thought. I thought, well, I, it's all right, okay, because at the end of the day, I will sit down and I'll get myself you know, half an hour to, to, to read and that will, you know, that'll, that'll be smashing. 
And I just, I just can't do it anymore. I'm just too tired to read. And there's one thing about being too tired to write or do something else because you can kind of, you know, you're looking at a shiny screen. It keeps you going for a little while longer. But for some reason, reading, I just, I just. It's relaxing though, isn't it? Curled up in bed and everything. I know. So maybe that's my problem. Maybe I shouldn't be reading in bed. Maybe I should sort of read on, sat on some kind of spike to keep me awake. <laughs> bed of nails. Yeah. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. I'm, I need you to defend this a bit more because why, do, like, why can't you just go to bed a bit earlier? There's this podcast that I record one day a week, and it's um, I'm usually up till like quite late doing that. Um, I've just I've never been a um, I've never been the sort of person to go to sleep. I'm always I always have to be the last person to go to bed, switch the lights off, and that's not because I'm worried about someone breaking in. So I have to be the person that locks the door. It's just that for some reason, even when I was a student, unless I hadn't gone out and someone else was coming back at sort of four in the morning, I would always somehow have an internal obligation that I would be the last to bed. It's almost like I'm scared of missing something. That's so funny, because I hate being the last one to bed. I don't like it. Why? I think it's just because I feel lonely. Like everyone's in a world of sleep and, and, and dreams, and I'm just kind of, like, creeping around. I guess it's also, like, a fear of not being able to go to sleep. You don't want to be the one that's not asleep while everyone else is asleep. I yeah I suppose I can I can understand that part of it because uh, you know that, that well I can particularly understand that part of it if you're a child but um <laughs> I can yeah, but I if it's, it's <laughs> but I I love the f- I love being the only one up I love just it's almost like a little bit of like a little sort of time oasis yeah well guess what I'm gonna let I'm gonna let it in because but, but only because I suffer from the same problem at the moment and literally I'm you know it's it's a, a, a triumph if I manage to read a paragraph of a book at the moment when I get to bed just because it's so exciting to be in bed and my eyes just can't stay open so it's going in I think you've been very kind thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> okay right, then. let's move on to let's do writing Writing, okay. Well, I, I I wasn't sure which one to pick for this. I had a few. I was going to consider writer's envy as what I wanted to say, that it's, it's an, a real problem. I, I read a great quote this week. It must have done the rounds a lot, but it was, where there's ink, there's envy. Have you, did you see that written somewhere this, this week? I can't remember well, where it was. This is the first I've heard of it. Uh, I think it's a good, good one. Um, but I'm not going to go for writer's envy. I'm going to go... I also was thinking about submission deadlines, missing submission deadlines, because tonight is the deadline for the National Poetry Competition. When 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 I say tonight, I mean when we're recording this, right? Yeah. Um, And I haven't written anything for for it, and I'm really upset about it. Well, I've, I've... When I think I probably told you this. I went through the same. I, I don't think I told anyone else, but I was, there was a short story competition that I was trying to write something for about three weeks ago, and I had poorly children, and I wasn't well, and I just there came a point where I just knew it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to get this thing done, and it sent me into the. In fact, I was in a funk. I was I was in a funk live on air, but I didn't explain why. You but, never explained it. If you just said that. We wouldn't have all thought, oh, for God's sake, it's Ian just being, you know, really miserable. We would have thought, 
totally we understand and appreciate why you're frustrated with life. I was embarrassed. It was embarrassing. No, you can't be embarrassed about that, honestly. Like, I've entered the National Poetry Competition for, like, every year in the last, I don't know how many years. And um, I was reading back to one of the winners. I was looking through the past winners and reading their comments about how amazing it was that they'd won underneath. And um, I should say who it is, actually. I think it was... Yeah, this guy, John Sate, and he won in 2004. Um, And just about the fact that, like, you've got to be in it to win it, that kind of um, idea, you know? I I completely agree, but... um... And and even if you haven't got anything, you know, just to submit something, I don't don't know whether that's a great idea, because, you know, this is the, one of the hardest fought competitions, poetry competitions there are, Uh, there is, sorry, but to not have anything at all to put into it is just deeply, deeply depressing. So I think... Because self-doubt was another thing I was going to say, but no, I'm going to stick to this. Not having something to submit to a submission deadline that you've really, really desperately wanted to submit to. Okay, so I'm going to so I'm going to try and make you defend this because part of the reason I felt embarrassed and part of the reason I felt so genuine, genuinely upset. I was in a genuine funk, and it's not like me at all. But I was really down on on myself and everything for about a fortnight. Because I'd missed this, what I what I in what I saw as a very important deadline, yeah. and I felt like I'd let myself down, and and so it, I, I I ask you, how lo- how long ago did you find out about this deadline? Um, last year, last October. <laughs> so there's no excuse. No, there is an excuse. What's the excuse? Um, this time last year, I didn't know I was going to have a book published. Okay. And so I had lots of poems that were just kind of swimming around unpublished. And that was a very long process. And then I spent, you know, all of this, this, the spring and putting the collection, the final touches, putting that together. And then I was just making sure that everything was all right with all that. And then the book came out and then I was like, well, I've got to concentrate on the book coming out and getting my, all that stuff sorted. So I, I have not written very much new stuff that's not, associated with that collection so um so yeah so that's why there's lots you know i mean every kind of excuse under the sun but i set aside the last two weeks where i was like i had all these ideas about what i was going to like work on and they just didn't come together and also i you know i'm busy Yes, and I, these are all the same sorts of uh, reasons or, or excuses that I try, sort of tried to persuade myself were kind of okay a couple of weeks ago but I don't know I still I still look back and I and I think do you know what maybe I who cares if I was ill who cares if I was busy who care you know that I maybe I should have made it happen because if, if it meant that much but I also think I, in my own case I don't think I realized how much it meant to me until I missed the deadline um yeah. but you know it's it's this still sounds like it still sounds a bit like Excuses, you know, deadlines. De- deadlines, whether it's for a submission or anything else, or have to be surely one of the most positive things for for writers, for writers and writing, because they they can they can make someone actually get to the end of something. Otherwise, you know, they might they might never do so. I think having having deadlines surely has to be a positive thing. So, how could I possibly put that into uh, room one hundred and one? 
may have convinced me that I don't even want to put it in now as well because you're right. <laughs> what was the hooter? Did I, just, I have no idea if the listeners will have heard that, but I just heard some kind of hooter. <laughs> oh, it's a text message. I do apologise. How unprofessional. That's your that's your text message sound, the hooter. Yeah. How very brazen. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do like that, yes. Um, but, yeah, I want we see now. It's not going in. I made a decision. It's not going in. I think it's just excuses. I think that it's. I think the deadlines are difficult to. They're difficult to hit for a reason. But without them, no one would ever write a thing. Right. Well, I mean, I was nice to you last time. I'm going to remember the fact that you're not putting this in for your next one. So, what's your next one then, Ian? What have you got? Okay. So my next. This is for writing. So this is what I want to put into Room One Hundred One for writing, and it is. I was going to go for the blank page, but I thought that was as tedious as what I'm about to describe. It's writing advice. Now I know what you're saying. It's not going in. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're thinking. Sorry, not what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hang on a minute. You have a a blog and podcast with (laughs) articles and episodes that basically dish out writing advice of, of some sort. And you'd be right. And I'd say that's fair enough. But I specifically want to put in writing advice that is so obvious and so incredibly, I think, almost insulting that um, that, uh, that it, it makes me want to put it into Room 101. Mm. So there's, there are a couple of f- phrases that upset me particularly. Right from your heart? Right from your heart is... One of them, actually. I'm going to add that to the list. That wasn't one of them, but that is a very good example. <laughs> In fact, I did actually write a blog post about that. I'll try and dig this out for the show notes, but I, the blog post was something along the lines of, right, you need to... Don't forget your head, basically, as that actually is the one that has the words in it and <laughs> um, and uh, makes good decisions. Um, so here's one, and I don't I don't know what, the, what, what you all think about this, but I'm so sick of people effectively writing i said i think i said on twitter it was a very humorous remark every blog post about writing basically is telling people to just write how many times have you said oh you just write and famous people say it as well bloody gaiman and other people you know just write end of the day just write and you know i say to neil gaiman if it actually was him that said this and i apologize if not (laughs) i say that's all right for you to say what with your full-time job as an actual writer yeah neil (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Um, so, just writers is, is one of them, and the other one, which is very much along the same sorts of lines, uh, sort of uh, sort of line, is uh, bum in chair. You just need to just need to sit down and do it. And I think I think what first, I think two things. First of all, how more? That's not writing advice. <laughs> that's just telling someone to do something. That's just like saying get on with it. That's not giving someone any advice. That's just—it's it's saying stop complaining, basically. But I don't think it is. I don't think it is because most of the time, the, those articles, the, the just write articles, go along the lines of are basically so are basically along along the lines of someone saying you just need to write, so like as if that's the problem for a lot of people. That's not the problem for a lot of people. So many people have the the will to write and that isn't the problem it's that they have problems with finding uh, with knowing how to structure things it's that they have problem with like um uh, rhythm and tense and grammar yeah. and characterization it's not that they yeah. 
don't write. It's just such it's such lazy writing advice. Just write. It's like, come on, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. Totally. Oh, I, you can have it. You get put it in. I'm not even finished. <laughs> oh my god, I'm totally convinced. I agree. <laughs> but I I think that. Of course, the overall principle. I think. I think that what some people who say this are trying to say is fine. They're trying to say there are some people who who avoid writing, and the, almost like the fact that they call themselves a writer makes them a writer. But actually, you just you do actually have to do the writing. And of course, you, you know all the thinking about being a writer, all the planning in the world um, is is fine. But you know, you so at some point you do actually have to sit down and write. Um, but just saying to someone, you know, just write or you know, just put your bum in the chair, is um, to me unbelievably tedious. And the thing that they're forgetting, the two things that the people are forgetting, first of all, is a slightly more obvious thing, and and obviously dear to my heart, is that some people just don't have the time. So apart from people, I'm so I, it's, it's happened to me several times over the last year where people have said to me, so whether it might have been like a um, um, a book signing or a reading, something like that. It even happened to me about a fortnight ago. Someone said to me, oh, so um, do you do anything else? And I just, I, I hadn't even, it hadn't even crossed my mind that someone might, that someone would actually think that writing fiction was my full-time job. And for me and thousands of other writers who have got publishing deals or who are self-published or and, and doing well, most of us have to have, at the, at the very least, a part-time job, most of us a full-time job as well. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm a copywriter. I work at the university. That's what I do. That's what I do from, like, 9 to 5 every day. This is kind of like a glorified hobby. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and, so, and so first of all, there's that. But also, everyone is different. And... Um, and people have different situations. And most of the time, the reason that people aren't writing is because they have pressure. They have life pressure on them. They have pressure from other areas of their life. And because most people, the vast majority of people who write, write fiction or write blog posts, whatever it might be, most of those people don't have an income from it. They have no money coming in to support them. So when someone says to you, you know, just write, you think, well, hang on a minute, I need to decide whether that's more important this evening than making sure my kids are all right or doing the online shopping or spending some time with my partner. It's like these things are not... It's almost like... And, I, and I've been... I've, I've said before about the idea of, of having to make a sacrifice, and that's because if you do want to just write, you do have to make lots of sacrifices. But don't just tell me to write and not acknowledge that in doing so, I am basically sacking off various things in my life which are desperately important to me. So um, everyone is different, so don't, that's, don't make assumptions about people and just tell them to get on with things because it's boring writing advice and it's utterly useless. Can it go in? Well, now I'm not sure because I said originally it could, but now now that you carried on explaining it, I'm I'm unsure now. <laughs> what do you think, though? Do you think? No, I tell you, of course it can go in. Of course, nobody wants to hear just sit down and stop complaining and stop all that stuff. It's just not cons- it's not constructive, is it? It's not in any way constructive no. for someone. No, it's not. It's not. But it's. I think it's indicative of this. You know, our modern online. I want, you know, top five how to do things in one line and, you know, not even a whole line if possible. I need it quick and I need it fast and all that. That's 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 the problem, you know. People just want, they want 
they want lists of how to do things um, that take five seconds to read. And then they think they've, oh, I've just read that. I know how to do it now. Yeah. Oh, I just need to sit down. That's literally all I have to do. Put my bum in this seat. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, yeah, good. Well, you're, you're winning now. 2-1. 2-1. That went in then. That's going in. It's going in. I figured the more I shouted, the more likely it was to go in. <laughs> you just battered me down. Put it in. <laughs> um, right, yeah, so publishing. That's our last one. Now, that I found publishing, this was a tricky one. What did you go for? Well, I was going to go for the slush pile. Nobody likes a slush pile, do they? Next, we're going to go for the slush pile. You are. Well, what do you mean? You, what, I don't understand in what, in what. I don't understand what your complaint would have been about the slush pile. Nobody wants to be on the slush pile. Get rid of the slush pile. Get it. Everything that you send should go directly to the person that can make the decision immediately, and they should be have time to think about it. I would have put that into the writing category, though. Don't be silly. That's the publishing category. Well, it's a writer complaining about something to do with their writing, the fact that it doesn't go straight to a person, it goes to a pile. Hmm. Maybe. Well, in, in poetry, people do, poets don't tend to have agents, you see, so you can't, there's no way that you can do something unless you cold, cold you know, unless you get something on a slush pile. Yeah. Good job you didn't go for that one. What did you go for? Yeah, I didn't go for that one, uh, because that one's rubbish. There's no way I would have gone for that one. Um... What I've gone for might be more of a a poetry thing. I'm not sure, and this will be very interesting to find out. It's writing cliques. Um, and it's the fact that I think sometimes what you write makes you stand out completely on its own. But the more and more I think about it and the more you kind of look at what's happening and, you know, the networks, people going around doing the circuits to do with writing and who knows who and everything like that, I really feel that sometimes it is a lot about who you know and about being part of something and getting a foot in the door rather than necessarily just having this thing that you've written on the piece of paper. So it's the cliqueiness of publishing circles? Yes. Do you have any examples? Can we name and shame? (laughs) Absolutely not. How dare you? So are you saying that we can name and shame, but you're going to choose not to? We could name and shame. No, but I mean, I obviously my book's published in Ireland, and Ireland is a lot smaller than the UK, and I'm sure that it's more extreme over there than it is in the UK. But it, it really does get to the kind of point where you feel like, you know, at festivals, for example, that the poets that are reading at certain festivals, they do tend to always be the same poets. And, you know, there's one or two new names every so often that you might see here and there. But I really feel like it is sometimes a club that you're in and then you, you're you there and, and, you know, you're, you'll do fine and everything. But, but that it does tend to be the same kind of people. And is this something that you see translated online quite a lot? Mm. Trans- transferred online, something that you see happening online a lot? I'm not sure because I think online, every you know, people are more accessible in general. Everybody is, aren't they? They are. I guess I just I see I see cliqueiness on Twitter, especially. I see certain writers who who are always tweeting each other like little groups, and I think I, I always think, do you know each other in real life? How is how is those how are those connections been made? And mm-hmm, yeah, that's and, true, actually. And I'm 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 not I'm, that doesn't mean to say that I'm particularly 
offended by them, but I am aware that they exist. And, yes. And then I th- then I try and think: I, Am I part of one? Am I always communicating with the same people? And I think, <laughs> and I think, oh. I think, probably, but not. It's not all writers. It's you know, friends, <laughs> online, you know, online and offline friends. It's people that I've, I either know in real life or people that I've met through those things. So maybe, maybe these, maybe the online, maybe these cliques are have been have, have grown organically. Yeah, but maybe it's people have actually that are on the circuit. They're doing events, you know, and that's that's how they've met and stuff like that. You don't know. I, I, I mean, you've actually done literary events at festivals, haven't you? Yep. And but I think there's a lot more scope for it in the UK. There are way more different kinds kinds of literary festivals and, and opportunities to, to have literary parts to different festivals. So it might not be so bad, but I don't know. I mean, even still, like the, the people that are judging poetry competitions and things, for example, you know, there are a few people that seem to be doing them uh, on a regular basis, different competitions, but it's the same people. It's very interesting, I think. I definitely think that publishing has a problem. Well, it has, and it always has had a, prob- a problem. Well, it's a problem if you're not involved in this, but it's, it is a case of um, not... Uh, what you know but who you know quite yeah. a, a lot of the time and um and 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 yeah you know we see this quite regularly people get published and you think how has that happened you know you know used to be a publishing assistant and you think oh right okay so no slush pile for you and um and you do see that kind of happening i've always seen myself as a lone wolf a terrifying image <laughs> That's not true. I haven't seen that. But Roaming around after everyone's <laughs> gone to bed. Yeah, now we know. But I've always suffered from uh, suffered. It's not the right word. I don't live in London, and lots of people who don't live in London, I think, are authors and writers in the UK. I think it's the publishing industry is so London centric. It's ridiculous, and there is often a feeling of being slightly on the outskirts and literally on the outskirts and not really. And 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 kind of think, oh, that's all kind of going on over there, and I'm, I'm kind of over here, and I don't, I want to, I want to go and. T- it's a bit like, sometimes feel like it's a bit like Alan Partridge at the funeral. Do you remember that episode? That episode? I don't, I where don't. He, where he's talking to the widow, and he sees someone that he knows over at the other side of the room, who um, who he wants to go and talk to about a business deal, and he says to her, "Just like to go and talk to him, please," <laughs> and then wanders <laughs> off. Obviously, that's terribly offensive, but... Oh, cool. Um, well, I take it then that you're going to put it in for me because you seem to be on board with this. I, I, I am on board. I think that I think that Twitter has helped and, and various other online portals has helped loosen things up a bit. Uh, loosen a things. little. <laughs> that's <laughs> a great word. <laughs> loosen things up a little. And it is a bit more of a melting pot going on now, but there are definitely cliques. And if you're not in one of those cliques, and then it is very difficult to get into them. And for for, for unpublished authors, especially, goodness me, it, it really does feel like an entire world is happening, an entire kind of ecosystem is is kind of taking place and doing its thing, and you're not part of it. And you know, when you when you are trying to get published, you you feel like you're trying to be. You're not just trying to get your book on a shelf. You're trying to be part of something. And I think that. I think that that I think that that's not a particularly healthy kind of situation. So I think I am going to put cliques into room one hundred and one. Thank you. 
Right then. Okay, so I've got just five minutes or so to do my publishing Room 101 suggestion. And it's we t- we've touched on this a number of times in a way, particularly you at the start. But I'm going to go for whinging. People whinging about... <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna do what? Whinging. Yeah, you just have to expand. Well, I'm about to, but you started laughing, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is yeah, go on. What, what, what were you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. Did you think I said go something on. else? No, 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 I didn't at all. I just wonder how what we've just been doing for the last half an hour has not been whinging, but go exactly, on, carry on. Exactly, it's a very, it's, there's, there's a certain sense of irony, but I'm complaining about people, people we, are, we are whinging in a very specific um, Room 101 format, so I think that makes it okay. But I, most of what we've said, I think, has been, uh, in a way, we're trying to say, you know, these things aren't quite right, and we'd like to would like them to change or not be the way they are people don't aren't pe- people i'm complaining about are people who whinge about publishing without really doing anything about it so you hear people in the publishing industry the traditional publishing industry as opposed to the self-publishing industry constantly complaining about amazon it is relentless how many times you hear people from uh publishing complaining about amazon i'm really actually quite pleased that my own publisher takes a different view so Tom Chalmers who's the um, managing director of Legend Press takes a different view it's not that I don't recognise the problems with Amazon and the, that they've created and the fact that they're they've basically um, they've kind of significant contribution to the closing of bookshops and various other things you know the pricing issues I, I, I get all that and I wish that Amazon paid more taxes and all this kind of thing I totally understand but at the same time people whinging about these things are not helping themselves if it wasn't amazon that made the kindle then another company would have made something that was equally revolutionary in the sense that it changed the industry and and the same the same things would have still happened it just would have been a different company and rather than whinge about these things all the time i would um, I would much rather so it's not just Amazon but whinging about other things too like celebrity memoirs um, um, I don't know Fifty Shades of Grey whatever it might be people complaining about all these things all the time I'd rather people did things and were more active and tried to think okay if that's going on what can I do how can I be more innovative um, and, and I touched on this kind of thing a a few episodes ago when we talked about YouTube and the fact that someone was talking had written an article from uh, um, I can't remember where it was, I will link to it in the show notes but it was basically saying oh there's this whole world of video, let's see if we can what can we do with it and I'm thinking like, there's loads of there's loads of good stuff out there already, loads of great content, why don't you ask those people that are making YouTube uh, using YouTube as a platform and all that kind of thing. So rather than whinging on time, I'd rather that the publishing industry as a whole was more active, more innovative, more forward-thinking, and other catchphrases or buzz phrases too. And um, and and it's as a writer, it's quite frustrating. So I, I kind of think, oh, you know, come on, we should be we should be beyond this now. I, I'm sick of of listening to people like worrying about whether. Amazon are going to take over the world. They've already got the world. They have a significant part of the world already. Let's not worry about that. Let's see what we can do to um, to either work 
work with people like Amazon or to to um, to figure out how we can use our celebrity memoir money to pile it into new writing. You know, there's got to be a way of doing these things rather than just complaining all the time. So this, if ever there was a time for action in the publishing industry, this has to be it. And finally, I would like to say that I appreciate I've done quite a lot of whinging myself over the last year. Lots of complaining about not having time to promote my book and all sorts of things I've complained about. But most of the time, it's born out of frustration, I think. I'm not... I like to think the fact that I do this podcast or that I do blogs or that I used to run Words Aloud, that's me trying to do whatever I can without getting paid for it and trying to be innovative and and contribute and all those kinds of things. So any winching that I've done, I'd like to think is mostly out of frustration that I can't do that more. So I'm frustrated that I can't write more. I'm frustrated that I can't read when I go to bed. I'm frustrated that I don't have the ability to 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 do three podcast episodes a week. But Ian, Ian, I'm sorry, it's not going in. What? <laughs> it is not going in. No way, Jose. I, having worked in publishing... Oh, here where, we go. You're going to start uh, whinging. No, no, all I'm going to say is that... You know, you're working 25-hour days just to, like, scrape out a few copies of books. It's it's tough. It's really, really tough. And I I felt like I never, ever had enough time to do justice to anything or anyone. And I really wanted to do more. But I just did not have enough hours in the day. So for that reason, I'm saying, no, it's not going in. I'm not complaining about you about people not trying. I'm complaining about people whinging. It doesn't matter. I've, I'm totally decided. I've, I, I feel that perhaps that you're, this is not going in because you feel like you have to not have one of mine going. <laughs> well, even if that was the case, which you can't prove, doesn't matter. <sighs> okay. It was a good try. Um, I agree that, like, you know, it'd be nice to have a bit more innovation, but I think everybody in the publishing industry is really, really squeezed. Not not just because of Amazon, but because of so many different things. And um, and it's a lot easier said than done. And most most publishers, most publishing companies are just trying to make ends meet. Hey, That's- I know this. I, I completely understand and agree with that entirely. <laughs> I know that I'm not. Com- that is not. I'm not suggesting putting lazy publishers into the into the <laughs> room 101. I'm suggesting people in the publishing industry whinging all the time. <laughs> it's a different thing. Doesn't matter. So it's not going. Oh, look at that two wall. Who'd have thought? It's a draw. <laughs> <laughs> right and also it's been 45 minutes long and we should say that we are going to be moving to five by five soon I mentioned that in the past it's all happening soon and as part of that move we are extending the podcast ever so slightly to around 45 minutes and this is the first one we figured why not start on episode 101 <laughs> yes absolutely so where can people find you on the internet that was good i enjoyed that productive i mean if, if it, uh, other people have we'd love to hear obviously wouldn't we other people's um suggestions for their own reading writing and publishing 101s room 101s absolutely this is a this, this is a group activity if ever there was one yeah and uh, you can tweet us you can tweet me on at the flying poet or find me on facebook um uh, slash donna Sorensen poetry or my website sorensenpoetry.com or you can holler at me on Twitter at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or you can go to ianbroom.com. 
or you can also find previous episodes of the podcast at ianbroom.com slash podcast. Awesome. Well, I'll see you next week, eh? Well, well, I'd like that very much. Oh, good. Who knows? Before the end of November, maybe we may even do a live Actually in the Same Room podcast for people. Oh, yeah. That would be really weird, wouldn't it? I, d- I wouldn't know what to do with my hands. I don't mean... <laughs> Good Lord. It sounded totally wrong. I just thought, you know, I was thinking about Ricky Bobby, <laughs> Talladega Nights kind of situation. I, uh, yeah. Good. All right. Well, anyway, look forward to that. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> cool. Have a good week. You too. Farewell. Everybody. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.